Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will open our eyes to see Jesus afresh. We thank you for the privilege of worshipping together. May we not take it for granted. Thank you for the privilege of listening shoulder to shoulder, uh, ear to ear, so to speak, your word. And we pray that you'll speak to us individually, but also as a church, your bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we to do with Joseph? I'm not talking about the Old Testament Joseph, who had a very colourful coat. I'm talking about the New Testament Joseph, the nativity figure, who stands alongside Mary and the baby Jesus. What are we to do with Joseph? Some this morning will know exactly what to do with Joseph. If he's a statue that's 10 to 15 centimetres high, we'll know exactly what to do if he's a 10 to 15 centimetre size statue. You'll see that Joseph is there. Joseph will help you sell a property. He will help you sell property. You'll see he has a toolbox in his left hand and a handsaw in his right. And this is how it works. Money back guaranteed. You spend $6.49 on Amazon and they will send you a plastic Joseph and it has the instructions. And the instructions are bury Joseph in your backyard and your house will sell guaranteed. I did not believe this until I myself checked on Amazon to find there are a whole range of St. Joseph's that are just waiting to be buried to help you sell your house. Why? Because Joseph was a carpenter, and what do carpenters do? They build houses. It's obvious, isn't it? After mentioning this in a sermon, Andy Stanley, well-known preacher, um, got this letter from one of his church people. Dear Andy, I was reminded in your sermon about my wife using St. Joseph, the patron saint of real estate, to sell our holiday home. The only St. Joseph she could find was from the nativity set, and he was holding the baby Jesus. Now, I refused to bury the baby Jesus in the backyard, but my wife was quite happy to. Now, she credits St. Joseph with selling our holiday home, but for me it took far, far too long. My wife also told me that the, what you're supposed to do, as per the instructions, is that once the house is sold, you're supposed to dig up the Joseph and take him with you. But she couldn't remember where she'd buried the, baby Joseph, uh, the Joseph and the baby Jesus because it had been taken so long. And so one day she was on her hands and knees scurrying around digging little holes in the backyard of our holiday home before we handed the keys over. The neighbour leaned over the fence and said, what's your wife doing? So I replied, she's looking for Jesus. <laughs> so what do we do with Joseph? Putting aside foolish superstitions. Because unlike the wise men seeking, unlike the shepherds uh, watching, the angels declaring, and his lovely wife giving birth, Joseph just so often slips under the radar. He's merely just a statue who helps you build a, sorry, sell a house or maybe uh, an extra in your nativity scene. But there's a lot more going to Joseph than this. And so we're going to open up the Bible and explore Joseph. We're going to look at two things. Uh, what do we know about Joseph? What does the Bible tell us about this character that slips under the radar? The second thing we're going to look at is what we can learn from Joseph. And you'll find that we can learn quite a bit about the father heart of God. So first of all, what do we know about Joseph? Well, first of all, Joseph doesn't speak. In all the Bible narratives, there are no words on Joseph's mouth. 
The wise men speak, nasty King Herod speaks. So do the shepherds, the angels, Mary, Mary's relatives, and of course Mary herself. But Joseph has no speaking part, just silence. Now I'm not saying he was mute. I'm sure he did speak, and the indications are in the Bible he could speak. It's just there are no words of his recorded in the Bible. And I wonder if this is why he often slips under our radar. Uh, The second thing is that Joseph was a carpenter. And we find this out when Jesus returns to his hometown, Nazareth. And that by the time he returns home uh, early in his ministry, his reputation had gone ahead of him. And no one in the town could believe it was their their lad, uh, Jesus, who was becoming so famous. And they're very sceptical. And this is what they say in Matthew 13, verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? The carpenter's son, Joseph's boy, the carpenter. So Joseph was a, a carpenter. And only flights of imagination turn him into the patron saint of real estate. The second thing, or the third thing I should say we know about Joseph, uh, is that he was a direct descendant of King David. Not just a humble carpenter who plied his trade well, But the two genealogies of Jesus found in Matthew and Luke take careful note that Joseph's line goes back to King David. Vitally important to understand who Jesus is to know that. But Joseph, Joseph was related directly to the greatest king that ever ruled Israel. Fourth thing that we know about Joseph is his tension about his being Jesus' father. Now, I'm not talking about tension between father and son or within the family unit, but the tension lies with how do you communicate the virgin birth when you have Mary and standing next to Mary, a virile young man. So you have Mary and you have Joseph and a wee baby or even a young lad, and then you say, virgin birth. And everybody looks at Joseph and thinks, you ought to be crazy. It was a natural birth, a husband's decision, family decision. And so how do the gospel writers communicate the virgin birth when Joseph's around? Well, the four gospel writers take different routes. First of all, Mark takes a simple route and doesn't mention Joseph at all. Uh, Jesus appears at 30 years old into ministry. Uh, John's very similar. He has this wonderful epilogue, this poem about Jesus being the word and before you know, before the beginning of creation he was and all this. But again, Jesus just appears as an adult. Uh, Luke, he struggles with this because he talks about the virgin birth more than the other gospel writers, but this is how he resolves the tension. In Luke 3.23, after all the stories of the birth of Jesus, he says this. Now, Jesus himself was... 33 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then the genealogy continues. So it was thought. So very importantly, Luke sows that seed of the virgin birth or reinforces the fact that Joseph was not the biological father. And then finally we come to Matthew who addresses this tension full on and I think he does it so well. And we pick this up in 1 Matthew Chapter 1, verse 18. So we're thinking about how does he communicate the virgin birth to those that are reading? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His, his mother Mary 
uh, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Before they came together. So that's how Matthew's communicating the virgin birth. And then a few verses later in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, or he did not have union with her till she gave birth to a son. So you see how Matthew is communicating the virgin birth. And so there's this tension, I suppose. And, and what I mean by tension is all the time the gospel writers are saying, Joseph's an awesome guy, but he's not the dad. <laughs> God is the father. Fifth thing we know about uh, Joseph is that he fulfilled the role of the father so very well. The stepfather that he was it was crucial for Jesus growing up. We see Joseph fulfilling the role of stepfather in a number of places. In Matthew 1.25, we see that Joseph names Jesus. Even though the name came from an angel, it was the father's role to announce the name to family and friends. He fulfills the role of a father. Uh, when he, he also took Jesus to be circumcised eight days after he was born. That's the role of a father. After warning from an angel, Joseph takes his family and flees to Egypt where he provides for them as refugees and then returns and settles them in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, and being a carpenter, Joseph naturally taught Jesus how to be a carpenter. This is why Jesus was referred to in Mark uh, 6.3. Jesus is referred to as a carpenter because his father taught his trade. How wonderful it is to be a parent, to teach your children something that's important to you, isn't it? Um, you know, whether you love to have your head under a hood fooling around with cars, whether you love hunting, sports, um, you know, other, other things. Whether mum or dad, isn't it lovely to teach your children or grandchildren something that's really important to you? Uh, well, Joseph, as a good father, to, taught Jesus to be an expert carpenter. And every year, Joseph, as a good father, took his family to Jerusalem for the Passover. Indeed, one year, just as Jesus had come to age, at the age of 12 years old, Jesus went missing in Jerusalem. And you, I'm sure you know the story. Uh, they were there for the Passover, and Mary and Joseph, with a whole bunch of friends, returned back to Galilee. But not long after they left, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. They thought they were with friends or cousins. So they went back to Jerusalem, and three days later, frantic three days later, they found Jesus in the temple. And we read this in Luke 3, 48. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Did you notice the word father is used twice in that passage? Once with a lowercase f and another time with a capital F. And you can see Luke's working really hard to get the balance right between communicating that Joseph was the stepfather, that God is the biological and heavenly father. Last thing we know about Joseph from the Bible is that he died before Jesus' public ministry began. So Joseph is there when Jesus is 12 in the temple. 
and then he drops off the scene. And by the time Jesus is 30 and starts ministry, Joseph has passed away. This is not directly told to us in the Bible, but there are enough evidence to show that he was not alive. Uh, Jesus is really busy in ministry. He hasn't got enough time to eat or even sleep, and, and so his family is worried. And so in Mark 3.21, we read, When his family heard this, they went to take charge of him. Uh, when the family gets there, we see in Mark 3.31, it says the Je- that then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Uh, notice that Joseph is absent when they're talking about the family of Jesus. And then this lovely exchange on the cross found in John 19. Jesus is on the cross and then he gives instructions to John and Mary. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, well, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. That would never have happened if Joseph was alive. So, let me summarise. What are the things that we know about Joseph from the Bible? He has no speaking part. It's not because he's not important. In fact, he's very important, as we'll see soon. He has no speaking part. He was a carpenter and taught Jesus' trade. He was a direct descendant of King David. Huge implications for Jesus but also tells us something of Joseph. There's a tension in the, in the Gospels about who's the father, whether it's Joseph or God, and that's all in the context of the virgin birth, and the, and the Bible writers do it so well. Um, he fulfilled the role of a father. What a wonderful stepfather he would have been. And finally, he died before Jesus' public ministry. So that's what we know about Jesus. Uh, sorry about Joseph, Jesus' father. But what can we learn from Joseph? What can we take home with us, understand more about God and ourselves and put into practice? Now in Matthew's Gospel, Joseph pray, plays a very significant role, much more significant than his small appearance is. You see, in Mark's Gospel, Mark's Gospel is all about asking us, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? All the way through Mark. Matthew's major theme is all about righteous. Who is righteous? Matthew all the time is asking us, who is righteous? What does being righteous look like? The Pharisees aren't righteous. And if they're not righteous, who is? And so when the Pharisees later in Matthew claim to be especially righteous, Jesus would often say, no, you're not. (laughs) And this is what a righteous person looks like. And so Jesus would say things, a righteous person does not pray long prayers in public so everyone sees. A righteous person does not fast in sackcloth and ashes so everyone knows. A righteous person does not clatter his coins into the collection plate so everybody knows how much he gives. No, Jesus says, being righteous is being like my father. Because Matthew is very, very clear, Joseph is a righteous man. Remember when Joseph found Mary to be pregnant and was concerned, thought that she had been immoral? And so what does Matthew say? Well, in Matthew 1.19, the Gospel writer says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
So right at this beginning passage, Matthew is going to define for us what a righteous person looks like. And then he's going to use that as the filter all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. What does a righteous person look like? Now, Joseph knew God's law, and that premarital sex allowed him to lay a charge that would see Mary put to death. He could go to the priests and lay a charge, and Mary could be stoned. But he didn't want that, did he? He just thought, well, I'll just break the engagement off quietly and put Mary out or away from all that angst and threat of death. And what we learn for this, which is very key, that a righteous person is kind. Matthew's very clear. Whatever being righteous means, at its core, it means being kind. Righteous means that you are kind. So it's the first thing we learn about righteousness in Matthew. The second thing we learn is that a righteous person is obedient to God's word. And Joseph, in that first chapter, is incredibly obedient. He's obedient when the angel speaks. Mary, take Mary as your wife. So what does Joseph do? He takes Mary as his wife. Name the child Jesus, says an angel. The baby's name is Jesus. Take your family and flee to Egypt. So Joseph takes the family. When they're in Egypt, after time has passed, the angel says, go back to Israel. And Joseph obeys. And Joseph obeys not just the angel speaking, but God's written word, the scriptures, the Bible. He circumcised Jesus on the eighth day. He took Mary into the temple for her rite of purification. Just like the Bible said, just like the scriptures said, he travelled to Passover every year, just like the Bible said. Joseph was obedient to the scriptures, for righteousness means being obedient to God's word. Whatever righteousness means, it also means obedience. And where do you think Jesus learned that righteousness means kindness and obedience? He learned it from his father. So when Jesus came across Pharisees claiming to be righteous, he could say, you're not righteous. My father was righteous. My father was obedient to God's word and was kind, and I see nothing of my father in you. From the day Jesus was born till the day that Joseph died, Joseph modelled kindness and obedience. I want to finish with a story, and I have a question for you after this story. Uh, it's a well-known story found in the Gospel of John. Uh, and if you were at the movie last night, you would have um, seen this story well played out. In fact, I uh, had a wee tear in my eye for when this um, was acted out on stage uh, in the movie, and I've discovered that that's quite a useful thing for a mask. <laughs> just dab a little tear from your eye very discreetly. And you know the story. One day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law brought a woman caught in adultery. And they said, the accusers said, the law says she must die. But what do you say, Jesus? Jesus bends down and he writes in the sands. And we don't know what he's writing and we don't know what he's thinking. But maybe he's thinking back some 30 years when a righteous man could have demanded the same for, a pu for his fiancée 30 years ago. Joseph could have demanded the same for Mary. We don't know what he was thinking, but he, he stands up and 
He looks into the eyes of all the accusers and he knows what a righteous person looks like and he cannot see someone standing there accusing this lady who is both righteous and kind. And so he says, you who is without sin cast the first stone. We know what happens, don't we? Starting with the oldest to the youngest, the accusers slip away until the only person standing is the lady. And then he says to her, if they will not condemn you, neither will I. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus is being both kind, but is upholding God's word. Now this is the question I have for you. Where did Jesus learn this? Where did Jesus learn to be both kind and obedient to God's word? Was it from his heavenly father? Or was it from his stepfather, Joseph? Earlier I asked, what are we to do with Joseph? Now there'll be one or two here who will slip away this afternoon. Go on the internet and Google house selling and Joseph. <laughs> and you will purchase a little wee plastic Joseph because you want to sell your family home. You'll never admit it, will you? For the rest of us, I pray that as we dust off our nativity Joseph and as we place him next to Mary and baby Jesus, we will see a man who was both kind and obedient to God's word. And he learned that from his father. And I pray that we will also learn to be righteous like Joseph. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> How did Joseph slip under our radar for so long? Huh? We know lots about angels singing and we know lots about the shepherds and the wise men. But so little about Joseph and yet, goodness me, what a privilege he had to be a stepdad to Jesus. We thank you that he was kind and we thank you that he was obedient to your word. And we pray that we'll be like that so that we can bring joy to your Father heart as well-loved daughters and sons. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.